today we have Chris Walsh from Walsh Conveyancing to tell us more about buying in a partnership. Welcome to Real Estate Right, where we talk to top experts on how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your hosts are Grant Kennedy and Sue Langeter. So today we have part two of buying in a partnership. If you missed out on yesterday's episode, download part one of buying in a partnership with Chris Walsh to get the basics of what you need to know for this episode. Now let's get into the nitty gritty. So uh, what happens when the partners want to dissolve the partnership and haven't agreed on the sale price of the property with one party not willing to sign an auction? So Mm. for instance, we have an auction, houses at a million and fifty thousand dollars, and one party says, Yes, I'm happy with a million fifty thousand, the other one goes, No, we need to get one point one. The party who's agreed to the one point oh five oh tells the auctioneer, Yep, that's okay, we'll go ahead with that. But when it comes to actually signing on the dotted line They won't what will happen? Yeah. So uh, if both, if there's two parties that are registered on title mm. and um, one of those parties don't agree, mm. it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. No, there's no obligation on a party to sign a contract to mm. agree to something that they're not happy with. Mm. They have to be um, a willing participant in the contracting process. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that could possibly change that uh, would be if it's a court order and yeah. someone else is authorised to sign yeah. um, overriding that other person. So essentially, like, okay, so when you go to an auction, for instance, once the contract hits the auctioneer's hand, it's basically sold. Mm. So they're overriding that section there, are they? Yeah, look, at the end of the day, it probably wouldn't get to auction... Um, with two aggrieved parties. Yeah. Um, there'd be, have to be very certain um, uh, groundwork in place if there's two aggrieved parties, knowing that they're both going to agree to a price. Yeah. Um, and if that price is not going to be achievable, mm-hmm. um, the auctioneers are going to be banging their head against a brick wall to mm-hmm. get an outcome on auction day. Yeah. Um, Unless they get the price. It's probably the onus is perhaps then on the real estate agent to make sure that agreement's in place. Absolutely, to be talking to both of the parties. And especially if if it's not not a happy camp, um, that the real estate agent is talking to both of those parties individually and um, finding out really where each person sits and what they need from the sale of the property um, and what is fair and reasonable in the circumstances. So setting a baseline of what price they are prepared to accept and anything over and above is going to be a bonus but if they can't agree on a price then there's no obligation on that party to sign a contract to say well yeah i'm not going to i'm not going to accept that so i'm not going to sign they're well within their rights to Mm. be of that view okay then the property would then probably have to go back onto the market yeah yeah feel sorry for the buyers maybe go back to the buyers and say look are you prepared to put that extra 50 grand in yeah Absolutely. And that's part of what a real estate agent um, does. They negotiate for the benefit of the vendor um, and 
unfortunately, in some of those instances, it will be the purchaser that misses out because they've probably got their, their heart sold yeah. on, on this property that they're wanting to purchase. Yeah. I've seen it before. Um, husband and wives, you know, going through a separation process, there's always one party that feels aggrieved yeah. um, that sort of can often make it more difficult for the other party mm. um, to move forward. And uh, part of moving forward is obviously selling the matrimonial home yeah. And that can be often quite a process getting two parties to agree to a purchase price because one will often think that the property's worth more hmm. than what it actually is. So the real estate agents definitely got their work cut out for them oh, in that yeah. situation. Yes, you hear a lot of cutting <laughs> a lot of lot of stories from agents, don't we? Yeah, all those sorts of stories. <laughs> sure. Um, so Chris, you hear of stories about um, people putting their property in their wives' names, for example. How does that work? Why, why do people typically typically do that? Yeah, so often that is an issue um, for the higher income earner of the family will transfer possibly the title into the wife's name if she's at home um, and looking after the kids and doesn't have as much income at risk as the husband does. So um, the husband might have his own successful business and um, he wants to remove the family home from being at risk if there is a legal issue that arises within his business. the other option, the other um, reason people do that is also to reduce um, tax implications and things like that as well. So for yep. mainly for protection, for legal protection. Yeah, um, that's more common than... Definitely yeah. more common. Um, if it was an investment property, not their principal place of residence, um, uh, often a, a wife who is at home with the kids will own a 98% share of the property and the husband will only own a 2% share. So his taxable income is reflected on his share of that ownership of the property as opposed to the wife who has very minimal income who's not going to pay, obviously, as much tax as what he's going to. Yeah. Okay. Yes, because... You know, it's just knowing the system, isn't it? Yeah, and it actually works the other way too. You yeah, know, there are a lot. There are a lot of um, women that are earning a lot more money than their husbands. You see a lot of stay-at-home dads these days yeah. as well. Um, women who have their own businesses, exactly the same situation, are earning the big bucks um, and want to remove the liability um, of potentially losing their home. Yeah. from a dispute that may arise through their business. work and their yeah. business. Um, so they transfer it to their hubby mm. to remove some of that legal liability. Yeah. You have to have a pretty strong, solid relationship to be able to do that, don't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, or, does fa- family law would then come back into it? Look, there's definitely ways and means of protecting yourself like if, yeah. if the proverbial hits a fan and... Um, the property is just in hubby's or wife's name and um, there's a, a bust up further down the track. There's certainly ways and there's caveats, but uh, there's other ways you can protect yourselves and that's when family lawyers come into into play and say, well, this is what we need to do. And it's usually fairly clear um, at the time of transfer what the intention was. Mm. Um, so 
you would go back beyond that and just say, okay, well, you know, when you first bought the property, you bought it as joint proprietors and mm. it was always intended that it was going to be a family home mm. and that um, you can see that 10 years down the track, Hubby's got a successful business. We're actually removing Hubby's name off the title because um, we want to remove some of that um, liability or, or risk factor mm. of losing the home if something goes wrong in Hubby's business. So. Yeah. It, things can change, but also the law will step in and just and look at it for what it is mm. um, and for what it has been in the past. Mm. So it's not just a matter of, um, you know, too bad, so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we've actually got our listener question now. Sam from Croydon brought a property while she was married and her husband was actually overseas at the time she purchased the property. Um, he didn't have a stable income. Uh, because he worked in sales. So even when she spoke to the banks and all that stuff, they said, look, we can't assess the mortgage on his income. It's purely on your income. Anyway, he knew about the property and she uh, purchased the property and put the mortgage in her name because the... um, Sorry, the mortgage and the title of the property in the name, her name. However... She did use joint funds to purchase the property. Now, he didn't contribute anything to the mortgage financially or ended up living at the property because he was overseas. Would Sam's husband actually have a stake in that property, knowing that she had purchased it in her name, in her own mortgage, all that sort of stuff? But initially with joint funds, that's where it's tricky. Mm. Absolutely. So it's only going to become an issue if um, there's a a relationship bust up and hubby wants a piece of the pie. Mm. Um, They would both be referred off to solicitors um, because even though the property is in her name, uh, the fact that she has used funds from a joint account perhaps to... um, put towards the purchase of this property, um, he has a fair argument to say, well, she actually has used, you know, $40,000 out of our bank account or Mm. she's redrawn it out of our existing mortgage Mm. to um, affect the uh, settlement. Mm. So, yes, I actually do think that he would have a claim to part of that property, but he would need to seek legal advice as to how he goes about claiming that part of the property and what his actual entitlement is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky one. Tricky it is a one. tricky one. Yeah. yeah. And it happens. It does happen. And, it, and, and I've actually have a situation recently where um, husband and wife um, still together, but mm. um, husband was had another relationship outside of the marriage mm-hmm. and had actually purchased a property with his new relationship, oh. hadn't separated from his wife yeah, and it made for a very tricky situation because once wife found out that there was a new relationship and a new property that had been purchased, they're, they're, the matrimonial home was for sale. They were yeah. having some issues but um, he'd come along and said to me, I've now bought a property with my new partner. Yeah. My wife doesn't know, um, but I will be using some of the sale proceeds. How do we go through that? So we are working our way through that. Um, <laughs> it's a bit trickier. That, there, and a lot of what we do is problem solving yeah. for people because whilst conveyancing is a process, yeah. um, 
the sale process is fairly standard, yeah. as is the purchase process. But what makes it different in every instance is the human element mm -hmm. and individual circumstances. So there's never a dull moment in conveyancing. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> so, um, well, you've already just told us one obscure story. Do you have any other obscure stories that you may like to oh, share Oh, look, those, it's probably only the family, um, the individual family relationships that sometimes create issues um, within conveyancing. Um, when I was working for law firms many years ago, there were a lot of commercial disputes and issues that came up mm. that were quite complex and needed to be resolved. Yeah. Um, they were quite expensive processes yeah. to go through when I saw them at that time. Um, but now um, where there is a situation where I can't resolve an issue... Yeah. Um, within the scope of the work that I'm qualified to do, I will always refer clients out to seek legal advice because um, I don't do things that I'm not supposed to do um, and I certainly don't want to get involved in other people's things because people will say, oh, could you just do this? Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Oh, but what if... And I'm, no, yeah. <laughs> you need to do this to protect yourself. Yeah. I'm protecting myself um, and you need to have the best outcome possible for you. So yeah. go and find out what your entitlements are from yeah. a lawyer um, or how best to manage that situation. Yeah. Um, come back to me, I, you know, let me know how you get on. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm happy to work with that lawyer yeah. as well to get the best outcome for the client. But yeah. um, fortunately, I don't have too many... Yeah. complicated things on a regular basis no. that because um, there'll be things like you know how people oh, I'm leaving my will to my dog or <laughs> leaving my will to a charity or something like that and there's a tense and common thing going on and it's like well how does that work like mm. <laughs> the will gets I actually had a situation recently where um, I had a client who uh, had put her property up for sale. She also had an investment property and she was actually dying of cancer. Mm. And she was this beautiful lady and I really... I really felt for her. She she came and saw me and, and we went through what needed to have happened for the sale of her, for her home. Mm. Um, and then she was transferring ownership of her investment property to one of her children. Um, and she wanted to make sure that both of her children were looked after. Mm. Her husband and her had separated many years ago but were very amicable. Mm. So they had children, the two children together, and they're adult children. Mm. Um, so... She passed about a month after we had that meeting. Mm. Um, a solicitor became involved to handle the estate side of things, and that changed all of the documentation, also changed all the dynamics um, mm. of the relationship with her adult children as well because all of a sudden they'd met me. We were doing the whole warm and fuzzy supportive mm. thing. That was part of my promise to her yeah. was that I will make sure your kids are okay yeah. and that legally they will be sorted for yeah. the future as a result of what you're able to do for them. Yeah. And um, it's been a long, drawn-out process. Mm. We're coming out the other side of it. Her house had settled. Um, her eldest daughter has just been able to buy her first home yeah. um, with the proceeds of mum's estate. Um, so I, this has been probably a, um, 
um, a, around about a two-year relationship yeah. that I've had with the family. Yeah. Um, and now we're just in the final stages of transferring that unit mm. into the son's name. Mm. Um, but developing relationships is such an, such an important part of what I do because mm. I want to understand what my client needs. Yeah. Um, and I also want to be there mm. and have their back because yeah. people... They've got enough to deal with. Absolutely, I go into battle for them because (laughs) my client that had the cancer, she's just like, well, I don't want anyone else to, you know, benefit from this. This Mm. is for my children. And the hubby and his new partner actually came in. We had a discussion with them about how things were going to look in the future once she passed. Everybody was on the same page. We talked about this probably over and above the line of duty in terms of conveyancing. But for me, that's really important to get to know my clients, have that relationship with them, make sure the outcome's the best for them. And I actually just got a testimonial um, sent through to me from the daughter the other day saying, I cannot thank you enough. You know, the last year and a half, two years of our lives has been awful with mum passing, Um, but we've streamlined that process. She was able to claim the first homeowner's grant. Um, She was, you know, we made it financially viable for her to get into the property. She had absolutely no idea what was involved. We just made it happen. Mm. Um, So that, for me, is just amazing to see the outcome. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. And, and have happy clients. Yeah, definitely. And and know that mum's up there. Yeah, looking out. Yeah, happy, saying that yeah. my kids are okay. Yeah. I remember going through a property once mm. where um, a lady, a husband had split with her husband and she'd gone to go live in Perth. She did that for 20 years. Kids were older and kids told mum, look, dad's not really well and no one has the chance to look after him. You know, any chance you can come back and look after him? So mum, yeah, she came over. She came back to Melbourne, looked after him. Uh, Ten years of being his full-time carer. Wow. And he died and she got nothing. Yeah. Like, essentially, he'd been a part of her life for 50, 60 years and she got nothing. Yeah. And it's really sad. Yeah. Especially when she put the effort in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably a situation where she should have probably sought legal advice and contested the will. Yeah. yeah. Look, I saw her at the, you know, selling, starting to sell the house mm. stage. Yeah. And she got, I said, are you cleaning up the house? Are you doing? Yeah. She goes, well, I've done everything else. I've looked after him. And, yeah, yeah, we've come across quite a few of those sorts of things. Yeah, we have. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty really sad. Really sad. Yeah. Yeah. You essentially need to dot your eyes across your taste, don't you, with buying a part in a partnership and preferably resolve your differences before it gets nasty. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think we've all come away being a little bit more savvy when buying a property in a partnership. So we will take a small break and come back with Grant's Fun Facts. Grant's Fun Facts. All right. (laughs) More stories this week. Um, One story I found was about a widowed man who had uh, two adult children. He had bought a house with his new girlfriend as tenants in common. Um, They each contributed half of all expenses, including the deposit. Uh, But then the man died, so his share of the house passed to his children. When, while his girlfriend 
still owned her half of the house. She was not able to continue living there because an agreement couldn't be reached with his kids for that to happen. Instead, they wanted her to either start paying them rent for their part of the ownership uh, or sell the house to realise their whole inheritance. Um, So she was forced to sell the house in the middle of um, the global financial crisis and lost money on the house purchase overall because she couldn't afford to pay for both her mortgage repayments and the rent that she was being asked for in the deal. So that was, so, I thought, was an so interesting that story how, that I came across. So how would that happen? So would, for instance, if you attend a comment, the kids inherit their half, they also inherit the mortgage, don't they? Or not? They're also entitled to half of rent, I suppose, in a yeah, way. Yeah. So, yeah, but they also have to If they own an asset, they should be getting a return for that. Yeah, so they probably... What should have probably happened is they all should have probably gone off to the bank and said, OK, well, this is what's happened. Um, as a party to a mortgage, he's no longer able to fulfil his obligations under that mortgage. So mm-hmm. what often happens is the banks will actually call in the mortgage and say, well, that needs to be repaid in full now because mm. there's a change in circumstances mm. or refinanced yep. um, or the property needs to be sold. Mm. Um, so this is actually for leading on from you know the pros and cons earlier yeah. of buying property as tenants in common. There's always going to be some complications about how um, the property needs to be dealt with. Um, the girlfriend's in, in a spot of bother um, because she can't afford to pay out the children of mm. um, her partner that's passed. Mm. Um, so it's a, re- it's a real curly one. And if, yeah. if, the, if the children aren't fans of the new partner or the girlfriend... Mm. Yeah, they're not going to look after her in any way, really. No, yeah. they're not going to do... They're not going to do any favours for anyone. So, yeah, yeah, it's a real tricky situation. And the children and probably the girlfriend need to go and get independent legal advice. Um, If they were um, all getting along and everything was really civil and they had been a part of each other's lives for a while, it may be something that they could resolve by going and have a chat to the bank and working out how they can restructure the the finance and how she can continue to live on there. But certainly... Um, they would be entitled to acquire mm. dad's share of the property. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Story number two I found was this particular couple, uh, Mary and Joe, not their real names, <laughs> <laughs> set up uh, tenants in common at a 70-30 split and then did eventually split up three years later. Mary was 70% owner of the property and while that was correctly done under property law, the, that agreement didn't get her out of the Family Court of Law Act. Family law took into not just uh, account contributions towards the home but also the and assets that they own together but also future needs and earnings is what, how they looked at it. Um, and in this case, the property was decided in family law, in family law court to be split 50-50 which was to Mary's disgust. And that's why experts often recommend couples have a binding financial agreement drawn up in these situations, um, which is the only way you can contract your way out of family law. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a solicitor, a legal question. Um, But we do see binding financial agreements and it seems to be the best way to to cover all bases. Yeah. Yeah, So binding financial agreements... 
generally based on percentages or or this person's put in $250,000 into this thing. Yes, they contribute evenly to the mortgage, so they get the split, but minus 250000 or something yeah. like that. It, it clearly stipulates what the parties are contributing, have contributed and what their entitlements to it are at mm. the end of the day. Um, that is a tough spot, and Mary probably um, would be looking to her solicitor and saying, why didn't I do better? So, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Um, it's a tough one. That That's a family law question. It's, that's yeah. really something that... I wouldn't want to be involved in, no. um, and the enforcement of the binding financial agreement. Um, although, interestingly, they've actually got to the point where they've been able to make that agreement. Yeah. Um, so the fact that it's been altered at a later date, or yeah. the outcome has altered, yeah, is a bit yeah unfair because you went in there with this purpose and yeah, you've. Yeah. Mm. Family law. It's very expensive and, and it's very messy and oh, it's shocking. Time can not always fair and not always fair. Someone always yeah. is yeah. Yeah. out unfortunately. Oh, it's, that's All it. Good. Okay, so now we have Sue's quick quiz. Are you ready, Chris? I'm so ready. Okay. <laughs> so are you a beach or lake person? I'm a lake person, a freshwater person. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favourite lake? Lake Yildon. Oh. Absolutely, hands down. You won down. my heart. Oh, yes. <laughs> hands down. Hands down? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, number two, how old were you when you bought your first home? 24. Oh. Yes. I'm a 20s girl. Good old grants uh, of 30s. So man. Yes, He's 24. So late, <laughs> I bought a Christmas Eve in 1997. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was six months before we got married. Mm-hmm. And, yep, a little place down in Langmoran. Nice. Loved it. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful first time. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Gonna love that. So what's your favourite Victorian country town? Victorian country town. Oh, I love the Dandenongs. I mm. just, um, Marysville, Bright. Yeah. Um, the pretty towns. Oh, some beautiful places to go. Yeah. Hillsville, I love Hillsville. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I went around Hillsville uh, back in January and that I'd actually ventured around there much, but it's actually quite a pretty town. It is. Yeah. It's a really lovely town. Yeah. A bit of old and new. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Mm. Uh, what's your favourite thing to do with the kids in Melbourne? Favourite thing to do with the kids? Well, my kids are fairly active sports-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, we we just like to hang out. Yeah. I just love spending time with my kids, and it could be on a walk, yeah, on a beach, yeah. On the lake, yeah. Um, on the jet ski, um, or just hanging out at home. Um, downtime with my kids is the best. Yeah, gotta love that. You yeah. know, they, and there's not enough of it. There's not enough of it, and it goes in the roller coaster. They want to spend time with you, and then they don't. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> in my ideal world, that is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's your go-to hot bevy from a cafe? Oh, coffee, hands down. Yeah. Every single latte, time. Cheap. Large full cream latte, no sugar. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> and I drink lots of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's the best sports club in Victoria? 
There's sports club in Victoria. Well, I'm actually a member of a few and oh. I sponsor um, the Somerville Cricket Club. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually a member of um, some motorbike clubs because mm-hmm. my son does motocross racing. Oh, yeah. So we're a member of uh, the Hastings Motorcycle Club, yeah. the Rosebud and District Motorcycle Club, um, Caranborough Motorcycle Club. Wow. We've also been members of the Western Port Steelers uh, yeah. Basketball Club for many years. My daughter played representative basketball yeah. there. Oh, yeah. um, and as I said, I sponsor some of all cricket clubs. So, so you're well-versed in oh, sports. And we play footy at the Tyab Yabbies. Yay. Oh, yeah, Tyab Yabbies. Oh, I love yes, that. nip, I love nip. The <laughs> yes, I love the Yabbies. <laughs> <laughs> I see the signs around. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all the back of the stickers on the back of the That's cars. The Absolutely. Yeah, yes. yeah. Very passionate about our footy club. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so movie question. What's better, Hoyts or Village? Ooh. Or do you go the alternative? Well, I must say, I've always been a fan of Village Gold Class. Yeah. But now you can get sort of Gold Class experience at Hoyts. I know. And pay just half half the price. Yeah. yeah. So cool. I yeah. So I must say, Hoyts, yeah, yeah, Hoyts has really stepped it up. They have stepped up. The only issue I have with Hoyts, though, is that because they've got bigger chairs, there's less chairs. So if you if there's a popular movie, they run out really quickly. Yeah. Village Gold Class is very schmancy. I do I do like the whole experience, I must admit. Yeah. Preferably if someone else pays for it. Yeah, definitely. Um, but if I if yeah, I'm if I'm paying, we'll go to Hoyts. Yeah. So going back to your heritage, what primary school did you go to? Langwarren Primary School. Oh, you're a Langwarren girl. I'm a Langwarren girl, yes. I actually went to kinder, preschool, um, primary school, high school, all in Langwarren. Yeah. So I've been a Langy girl for years. I moved to Somerville about 12 years ago. Okay. From Langwarren. So you moved to the village. The next village. Yeah, next village. Pretty much. Next village. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was in Langwarren when there was only 3,000 people living in Langwarren, you know. And now I I hate to think how many. It's huge now. Yeah. Huge. It's funny. I I did a, um, a crime history tour the other day. And it was around Fitzroy area. And they said back in the you know, 1910s-ish time, there was 35,000 people living in Fitzroy at the time. Wow. Now there's 10,000. Really? Mm-hmm. Because there was loads of boarding houses. There was loads of families living in one room. Oh, true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so um, a very, very different time. Wow. And now and it's just all fully loaded in there. Fully loaded. Wow, that's cool. That is cool, isn't it? That's way cool. Yep. Yeah. That you think that, you know, we're used to growth, but that's gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's way. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Okay, so who is your favourite Melbourne-based entertainer? So rock star, band, actor... Oh. Celebrity TV person. I have to say, gotta love Chris Hemsworth. Chris he's just Hemsworth? done so much for, for. I mean, he's a, he's a Philip Island boy. Yeah. He's you know, he's a bit of a spunk. He's a bit of a spunk. Yeah. yeah. And who doesn't love? He's booming, isn't he? At the minute. Yeah, he's absolutely red hot, and I think he's done great things. Yeah. Um, look, we have so much talent. We do in Melbourne. It's hard to pinpoint one, but he just stands out as uh, you know, Thor, God of Thunder. <laughs> so passionate. He's, he's a bit. He's a bit of a bit of a hunker spunker as our Chris Hemsworth. Uh, all right, ladies. <laughs> Shall we go on? on? And the last, the last question. Uh, if you were ten again, what did you want to be when you grow up? 
probably still a policewoman. Still a policewoman? Yep. Yep. You were pretty keen on... I, that was all... It was It was non-negotiable. Was I, it? Yeah. And when I sat the exams when I was 18, I putted up to the police academy in my Datsun 120Y with my P-plates on and sat in a room <laughs> with 300 other people doing exams with all these uniforms walking around. Yeah. I just thought oh, my goodness, this is so cool. I yeah. want a part of this. And then I went to the open days. And it was just, it, it was a no-brainer. I had yeah. no ambitions in going to university. Oh, I just wanted to be a policewoman. And that was it. And when they said, go away and, you yeah. know, get some life experience and come back when you're older, that's when I fell into a, a legal job in Brighton. Yeah. And um, it was, yeah, it was really good from there. So, yeah, yeah still still policewoman. Yeah. yeah. It still interests me. Yeah. But um, I'm too old now. Too old? And, and everything hurts. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love that. So, Chris, um, do you have any special offers for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, if anyone's listening today and um, needs to have some conveyancing done or just wants to talk about the conveyancing process, mm-hmm. um, more than welcome to get in touch. Um, but if you are buying um, or selling real estate, um, I'm happy to give any listeners a 10% discount off our uh, professional costs. And you can just quote the word pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, mention um, the word pod when you're inquiring about our services and yeah. be happy to have a chat. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyway, thank you, Chris, for being here today. We hope you have enjoyed telling our listeners about how to buy in a partnership and we look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. So if you would like to get in touch with Chris, call her on 5977 or check out her website at www.walshconveyancing.com.au. Next week, it will be me and Grant, with Grant giving us the insight about what to expect at your photo shoot. Every home that goes up for sale or rent has some type of photo shoot, so Grant, who does sales, rental and housing development photography, will give us the lowdown of what to expect. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production. Hosted by Sue Langader and Grant Kennedy. Chris Walsh can be contacted at walshconveyancing.com.au for her special offer or call her on 59775111. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Audio Stock for sound effects and Premium Beat for our theme music. If you love this podcast and want to help us, we'd be ever so thankful if you could please subscribe rate and review us on your favourite podcast service. We welcome any of our listeners to email us if they have any questions they would like answered in a future episode. So please send us an email to sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.